Welcome to Growth Untold, the podcast where we dive into thoughtful conversations and insightful discussions with world-class people, all with the aim of inspiring, educating, and empowering our listeners. We are thrilled to have you here with us on this exciting journey to explore the diverse stories and the ideas that have the power to shape the world for the better. Welcome to Growth Untold, the podcast. Joining us today is a multi-talented dynamo who wears many hats and wears them all exceptionally well. As the visionary CEO faculty, a brand championing self-expression through accessories, he doesn't just stop there. He's also a strategic investor in over five companies and the driving force behind one of the world's largest public transit systems, the TTC, becoming the youngest Toronto Transit Commissioner in the history of the organization. All right. Welcome on, Fenton. Thanks for coming on, my man. How's it going, guys? Thank you. I like the, uh, where are you? Are you in Toronto? I love the, I love the backdrop. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in the dot. I'm at my girlfriend's house. I, I wanted to get like a really nice chic background for our conversation today. So it is real. <laughs> it is not a picture. I can, I can touch things. It's, it's, it's so legit. does your girlfriend have a nicer house than you do? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> um, that is exactly what I'm saying. That's the exact what I'm saying. I take all my calls from various rooms in her home because it's just like aesthetic, right? And when you're in the business of vanity, like having that is going to be so crucial to like selling the point. You know, 100%. I love it, man. It looks so nice. Better than my backdrop. Um, all right. So I want to talk a little bit about obviously where you are now in life. But before we get to that, tell me a little bit about your upbringing where did you grow up? Was it to, like Toronto, Greater Toronto area? Yeah, I um so Toronto born, born, raised, bred everything. I I grew up in North York around Jane and Wilson. So for those who are familiar or not familiar, like our, our biggest mall at near Jane and Wilson is like Sheridan Mall, and like the only thing you can do at Sheridan Mall is like go and eat and like maybe <laughs> buy video cards. <laughs> so. I uh, I grew up uh, I grew up in that area you know not the most affluent area um, you know my, my my parents came here from uh, Guyana which is a small South American country uh, next to Brazil with like a dream and a couple of dollars in their pocket to try and make something better and that's where we ended up landing um, I went to I went to high school at York Memorial Collegiate Institute at Keele and Eglinton um, and it, it's funny because our school now is famous my high school is famous for being the high school that burnt down. And we're, we're we're unsure if it's because of like insurance reasons or or because developers wanted a piece of it. We don't know, but it's famous for for burning down. Um, but also, it also means like growing up as a as a like a racial minority or a black person uh, in the city of Toronto, which in and of itself can be like really difficult. And I like to tell people, and this is pretty standard for all racialized people, um, but especially within the black community. You almost have to work 1.5 to two times harder because of the mechanisms around stereotypes, right? Like if we take a look at the definition of what a stereotype is, a stereotype is the mechanics and the fixed and oversimplified idea of a particular type of person or a group that's usually created because of a few interactions. So I grew up being one of the only black persons in the room, like whether it was going to high school and being one of the only black persons in like the advanced placement program at my high school or like 
at my summer internships, um, you know, being the only black person at the corporate office, you almost have to work so much harder because you're afraid of the stereotypes people might assume or make without having any meaningful interactions with you. So that's something that I've always like kept to my chest, even now as someone who is successful on paper specifically, um, super crucial. But I mean, overall, I had, a, I had a pretty decent upbringing. I mean, I took the TTC everywhere, um, 96, 41, Express. Those are my routes. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's a bit about me, my upbringing specifically. Still, still go to Sheridan Mall if I'm trying to get some doubles. That's fire. <laughs> um, I love doubles. Yeah. Of course you are. They're amazing. They're amazing. Come on. Uh, uh, can you so can you talk a little bit more about that? You you shared some amazing nuggets in there, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, you know something that I'd love to hear more about is your your experience of being you know a racialized minority. Um, and somebody who was, you know, perhaps the only black person uh, in the room in multiple settings, like how has that lit a fire in you to, has it, has it lit a fire in you to want to achieve more? Like, I, you know, we, we, it's, uh, we, we were doing some research beforehand and we are just looking at your LinkedIn profile, man. You're like on the board of like multiple companies. You're the youngest TTC commission ever. You are CEO. You do so many things. And is there some parallels? here between, um, you know, your experience to wanting to achieve all of these things? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, my, I'll, I'll start with like my personal mantra on achievement or growing, and then that'll sort of segue into, I think, why empowerment of racialized communities are so imperative and crucial. At the heart of what I do, I, I've always been inspired by like this like sense of curiosity and a genuine desire to drive impact. And my whole spiel is if I can make the world or my immediate surroundings just a little better, it doesn't have to be amazingly better, but just a little better each and every day that I'm doing my part in driving economic prosperity, social justice, and doing the best that I can as one individual can to like driving change in Canada. Right. We know that like within the next 100 years, our population is almost going to like 1.5 X. And the majority of the people who are coming here are going to be from through immigration and they're going to come from racialized backgrounds. But I, I'm only one person. Right. And that doesn't that doesn't like help at all. And I know people have that mentality and they want to grow. But what we're missing here is helping racialized people get to that level, too. So. You know, when I was at Ivy Business School, I, I did my undergrad at a like a really amazing business school uh, that was based in London, Ontario. You know, of my year when we graduated, there were six of us who were black. Um, my first job ever outside of school, I think I was the only black person within headquarters. When I went and jumped into management consulting in the entire Canadian practice, there were two black consultants um, out of a sea of almost 150. And what I've realized is being the only person in that room sets an example for generations that come after you. It one shows them that there is a clear path to getting to the ranks of the like highest echelons of achievement. It, it shows you that it is possible and that in and of itself is inspiring to many. And you know, I get to have amazing conversations with high school students and university students who, look at my resume or look at what I've achieved and say, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do too. help me carve the path to that or show me 
what has had to happen for me to for me to go and achieve something that you have achieved also. So it's it's one it's a bit of a chip on the shoulder because you're 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 constantly reminded that there are institutions that have been designed over the last 100 years to hold populations back um, whether it's intentional or unintentional. But if you can break into that and if you can show that there's a room for people who don't look like you to be in the room, then there are so many incredible tailwinds of positive benefits that come out of it, right? We talk very often around women in the workplace, for example. And one of the things that economists discuss is the idea that if you want to like solve all economic problems, ensure that women are working, ensure that there's parity in the workplace, ensure that there's income parity in the workplace. And you can apply the same principle to racialized individuals or those who are coming here trying to make a better life. If we find opportunities to level the playing field around privilege, and, and I define privilege mostly as access, access to resources, access to benefits, access to the shadow job market, because look, the reality is, is 80% of the jobs that, that exist aren't advertised to the average person. If we can create democratization across those areas, then we're inevitably helping the economy. We're inevitably helping social causes. We are doing a better job for our immediate surroundings by ensuring that the labor pool is just as skilled, just as resourced, and just as accessed when it comes to opportunity. So if I can do that, and if I can pave a way, and if I can show that there's an opportunity or a way to get to that trajectory and pay it forward, then I'm not only helping myself, I'm helping those around me, I'm helping my community, but I'm helping the broader social fabric that is Canada. And my expectation is that those people also do the same thing in this like weird pyramid scheme, right? Where we're all just trying to help each other get better and contribute to like a better Canada. And it starts with a recognizing that being the only person in the room is is important for for the next generation of leaders who want to pop off, who want to do interesting things and who want a case study for what success on paper, at least, looks like. Sorry, I'm like rambling, but no, no, no. no. This is good. No. This is good. Okay, you've you've said a lot of stuff that you know applies to my business as well, and I'm sure applies to Alex's business. Though both of you are kind of in the corporate world, I would label it as sure. But in in my world, which is the entertainment world, a lot of what you said applies to that as well. And before I touch on what you said about the shadow you know, jobs or the shadow job market, you've you've obviously developed a purpose and a goal and a drive. Alex and I grew up in Markham, the greater Toronto area. And like you, we were some of the only visibly ethnic people in our school. And both of us have very specific events that have almost shaped our life, our drive, our goals, our purpose. There's things that, you know, I still, that still flash in my memory from when I was seven, eight, 10 years old. What are some of those moments for you that when you were growing up in the greater Toronto area as a black man or as a black boy that kind of helped you realize all of this, like helped you realize that I have to work one and a half times harder. I have to pave the way for the next generation. Uh, you know, I have to seek out opportunities more than others do. What, what are some of those events 
that happened to you when you were younger that shaped you? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> going down memory lane for this. Um, you know, it, it actually happened not when I was a younger or when I was in elementary school, but I realized this very late in my development um, and, and two things really. When, when I got to business school, um, I, I was incredibly naive about what the experience was going to look like, incredibly naive about like what classes would be in. What I realized very quickly was the, the learning, the aptitude, the things that we're generating and like bringing into ourselves as like tactical skills, whether it's like learning how to build a discounted cash flow and finance or like figuring out a marketing plan. All of that stuff you can learn anywhere. You can go to Wikipedia and you can learn all this stuff. You don't have to pay the tuition to go and learn this stuff. But one thing that I realized very quickly was the social aspect and realizing that connections, conversations, building relationships were so important to getting business done, so important to unlocking opportunities. And it actually mattered so much more than what I was learning from a textbook or from a case or answering questions in class. And when you when, when I looked at my class, when I looked at the entirety of my class, those 600 students that graduate, where the majority of us or the majority of them were, you know, Caucasian or or weren't a visible minority, you start to realize that, hold on a second. Half half of my classmates went to prestigious high schools. Half of my classmates went to private schools. Half of my classmates, you know, are like borderline Nepo babies. And I have none of that. And that's when I realized very quickly that there was this massive division within access to resources. And there was a high correlation between what you looked like and what that access looked like too. And that's when I realized very, very quickly that holy smokes, like, yeah, sure. Learning about, you know, operations is great, but I need to work just as hard and even harder than my peers who come from these privileged backgrounds that just so happen to correlate with the color of your skin or, or the racial background that you have. Because that's how business happens. That's how opportunity happens by like having that access. And, you know, I realized that sort of later on, like as a, you know, almost grown adult, but it's really kickstarted what was important to me, which was how do I get to those positions where I can give access? How do I get to those positions where I can help create opportunity? And, you know, I also think about a couple of things too, right? And I think the idea of achievement, a lot of people have that like, canon story right like I, I don't know i just i just finished watching uh the most recent spider-man movie on a flight um and then they were like talking about how you shouldn't be interfering in these like canon events and for spider-man generally across the multiverse the canon event is like uncle ben or someone close to them dies and like completely shifts their trajectory i don't i don't really have one of those like uncle ben moments but i do know what i don't want and for me like i don't want to look back at life and regret that I haven't tried something because I was afraid of failing. Like, I don't want to be in a place where I have like isolated myself, where I can't exercise like a radical sense of curiosity. I don't want to look back at life and say, oh my God, I pigeoned myself into a definition of who I am and who I ought to be well before um, I've defined it for myself. Right. And it, it's almost, it's almost weird because I've got this like negative reinforcement um, and this like profound sense of inspiration, yes, 
But I also have this like fear of being defined without me having the time to like figure out the definition of who I am is too. And like it, it, it dawns on me that in order for me to determine who I am and what defines Fenton is I have to go out and try a billion things. I have to go out and try to be the best in the things that I'm interested in. And if I fail, at least I treat that as a learning experience as an, as, and as an opportunity to grow. So, you know, the the events for me was realizing that access generally is correlated with the way that you look and realizing that in order for you to hit the highest echelons of where you want to be, you have to get that access and you have to work just as hard, if not harder, the 1.5 to 2x harder than some of your classmates who have had the privilege of that upbringing. And it's not to discount their intelligence or their hard work ethic, but these are just factual realities and like institutional realities that people of racialized backgrounds have to deal with. And when you when you when you couple that with this like fear of being defined before you can define who you are for yourself, it starts to really kickstart, you know, getting to a place where you can do as many things at the like highest order of operations. So that you can figure out who it is that you want to be, because like I'll be honest, man, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Like, and I say this all the time because it's true. It's not me trying to be facetious. It's it's like literally true. I do not know. So I'm with you 100 percent about um, you know people people of color having to work a hundred times harder or two times harder, whatever yep. it is, however you wanted to define it. Sure. Um, and I think it's relevant, again, to my industry as well, because I can only speak to my experience um, and the industry that I know. And so in my industry as well, I would say that I don't know if it's 80%, maybe it's 90%, maybe it's 50%. I really don't know. But I would say that the majority of roles out there, especially career defining roles out there, are shadow roles, right? Yeah. People, the regular actor, the hustling actor doesn't have access to them. Right. Once in a while, you'll get a role that they're mass auditioning and and, you know, then maybe you have access to that somehow a tight little window where you could maybe, you know, go in there and, and get yourself seen. So I want to know from you when when you were going through that experience and realizing, you know, I don't maybe have the opportunities or the access that my classmates do. What are some of the things people out there can do, whether they're aspiring lawyers, aspiring actors, aspiring business people, aspiring whatever, to increase their chance of getting access to those opportunities? Because you're right. There's a lot of skilled people out there and you can be skilled and qualified and talented, but you just don't have access to the opportunity, right? Like this is one of the first times I've heard it worded that way and it's so true so how do you increase your access is it just networking is it like going online and digging like what what is it what would you yeah, recommend yeah. it's it, and it's a really good question and like just in case i like mess up someone's life don't take this piece of advice with a grain of salt but my 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 the my theory and my thesis around unlocking access and almost like brute forcing access is that access is a function of people and I don't think people realize that, and people pe people have jobs, right? Like, Mina, you're an actor, right? Um, Alex is killing it when it comes to partnerships and like directing that. Like, everybody has a job. 
whether you're an architect, an engineer, in video, a sports coach, whatever. Everybody is also in the business of sales. And what you are selling is you as an asset. And you're selling you as an asset to buyers who are people. And these are going to be people who will benefit from who you are, your skills, your talents, the advice that you give, or will benefit on your future potential. And all of that stuff is so crucial. So what does your sales pipeline look like? And how are you having as many conversations with people as you possibly can? I try to have, no joke, I try to have at least one to two conversations with someone completely new every single week. And I'm, I constantly feel like I'm shooting my shot. Like, I'm like, hey, where are you at? What are you up to? Can we hang out? But it, it's so important to go out and build that network and to build those relationships and to have those conversations with people because people, I think, ultimately is like the brain trust of where information goes. And I also think that there is like a, a, a lower or even like more effective derivative of that, which is mentorship and finding mentors. Now, I hate mentorship as like a concept or like the definition of mentors because in my opinion, like no one really has it together. And if you see someone who says they've got their life 100% together, they're lying to you. Like just, just straight up. What I like to say is I think everybody needs a board of directors and a board of directors, if you think about it in the corporate sense, these are stewards of an organization that manage the CEO, you being the CEO of your life and your life being the asset that you're trying to sell to other people. And your board of directors needs to be people who have either done things in the past that you're really interested in, um, who believe in you, who support you, but they have to be diversified across your hobbies, your talents, what you like. And you bring these people together, not together as like in one meeting, but whenever you need to rely on these individuals. These people, these individuals, the, the, the great thing about humanity is that we love giving back. It's inherent to our evolution because whether it's altruistic or it's selfish, there's always going to be this flywheel of benefit. And if you show promise and people will want to support you. So building out that board of directors for you and what your goals are, are going to be critical because those people, they're going to be a bit more white glove and higher touch to what you're looking for and can provide opportunities can give you introductions, can point you in the right direction as you start to think about ideas and things that you're interested in. So, you know, build a board of directors and have people who support you. And it's, it's very easy. I think people over, I think people are overstate how uh, difficult it is to build your board, if you will. But it can be managers, it can be colleagues it can be parents it can be anybody who has a, yeah, agents brand agents, managers brand managers yeah. you name it right man yeah you're you're blowing my mind because i've never you're, you're thought capping. about you're it I, I, you've you're i've capping. never thought i've never thought of it that way but you're so right because especially as an entrepreneur or someone who is you know working for themselves you have a team around you, right? You have a manager, you have an agent, you have a publicist, you have a social media team, you have this, you have that. And you're right, they are your board of directors in a way, and you're almost only as strong as your board is. And to get better, to get stronger, you wanna build a board that is not only top echelon, but a board that ultimately cares about you. But then you said something else that I think is really important. I think it's naive to think that 
all you need to find is people that care about you and therefore they will do good for you. Like, no, like there has to be a benefit for them too. Because at the end of the day, we're all humans. Nothing is every, free. Yeah, nothing, nothing is, is free. free. Exactly. So you've got to benefit them. And the more you benefit them, the more they'll benefit you. And that's that's ultimately what you want to look for is relationships that feed each other and kind of grow that fire, right? It's like putting gasoline on each other and growing um, that fire. That's a really great way to look at it, man. Thank you for that. So I want to move into a little bit about the TTC, right? <laughs> I left I left um, Toronto in 2017. Yeah. And I took the TTC everywhere because I didn't have a car living downtown. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I took the TTC everywhere or I biked or I walked. Freaking yeah. love walking in Toronto, especially during the summer. And a lot of people say, a, a lot of people have this criticism of the TTC that for a metropolitan city, it's not as wide reaching as it should be. There should be more lines and it, there should be more access and things like that. Yeah. From your time there, like, what do you have to say to that? Is that a legitimate problem in Toronto? Something that you're looking to fix? Something that you're looking to improve on? Or like, and and why has it been that way? Like, why... Why in the decades past has nobody stepped in and gone, we're going to fix it? Isn't it an infrastructure thing? Like a lot of my friends just don't understand what the issue is. Yeah. Um, asking all the right questions that are also all the tough questions. My <laughs> my first facetious comment to people who, who ask why transit is not as developed is, like, have you taken a look at other transit agencies, <laughs> especially in North America? The TTC consecutively has has won awards around being, you know, some of the most sophisticated and um, exciting transit agencies around the world. And I don't think people realize this, but the TTC is the third largest transit agency in North America after the MTA in uh, New York and Mexico Metro. So yes, obviously, when you take a look at our subway, it's never going to be Japan, right? And, I'm, and I'm, someone told me this recently that like the Tokyo subway station was like the ideation for it was developed from like moss that would grow and they would try to determine like where the moss is going across the um, perimeter of Tokyo to see what the right interchanges were. I don't know if that's completely true. I haven't fact-checked that, so you may have to cut this out of the video. But we we built a subway station, but we're doing, we built a subway line, but we're doing our best to supplement that, right? People forget that, yes, subway is one way to get around, but let's not forget that we've got um, our streetcars, which have tons, dozens upon dozens of different routes all across the city to get you from the east end all the way to the west end. The new streetcars are beautiful. They're beautiful, the new ones. Yeah, exactly. And we do have plans for extending what the uh, infrastructure of the transit agency looks like. Now, expansion is not something that we as an agency are responsible for anymore. This is something that is in the hands of the province uh, and and they're developing out relief lines, additional LRT lines that hopefully will come to a realization by 2030. But we're going to be getting a bigger, robust system. And I would also say to people that look, when you think transit, don't just think subway. Think think the think buses that are running all across North York to go east to west, which I constantly take all the time. They are just as efficient. 
there are still setting record high uh, headwinds. Um, you know, we're 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 doing what we can to like make the best of our situation, and we're constantly finding ways to upgrade and to make our system better. I mean, we just introduced open payment systems to all of our um, infrastructure, which is incredible. It means you don't necessarily have to use a Presto card any longer. You can tap on with a credit card or a debit card, and that could be your token for your ride. And it, the system is sophisticated enough to ensure that you're getting the best deal depending on the number of times you're using the system. So the TTC is one of those things, Mina, where it doesn't really matter what you do. There's always going to be criticism. There's always going to be somebody or a group of individuals who will have their hot takes on where transit goes. And that's life, that, man. That's life. That's, that's, that's the life. world that's, now. That's 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 how everything is now. People will always find a way to be negative and try to cancel you. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. Cancel it, the TTC, it, man. Cancel it, the TTC. It's going to be really hard, man. We're, 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 we, we have a lot of assets under management. And, you know, we, we employ almost 15,000 people. And that's that's a lot of people trying to keep our city together. Amazing. It's I yeah. It's 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 wild stuff. And that's one one thing I'd love to uh, understand a little bit more. I feel like um, you're on the other side of the table of, of yep. obviously a massive beast in transportation, right? TTC. Um, and Mina raised a good point of the disconnect between people and their expectation. And you are on the other side of trying to innovate it, to grow it, to expand it to make it better and more accessible for people. What would you say is probably from your experience, and you're going to provide a great dose of perspective, but uh, I'm really curious of working the TTC for as long as you have, what is like the biggest, I would say, maybe the disconnect of what people expect and versus what you're actually doing? Because I feel like people don't really understand you. Again, you shared all these amazing things, but what are like from your experience, like what are some of the other things that they probably don't realize uh, that they should know? That running transit is not easy. <laughs> this is this is tough stuff. This is yeah. like, and and just and just to give you the gravity of why and how big the TTC is in terms of its impact. For every dollar that we invest in transit, we're developing four x that in economic prosperity. Transit is the reason why we have density within the city of Toronto. Transit is the biggest employer of people in this city. We are championing and on the front lines of positively impacting climate change. We are finding ways to get people from point A to point B. Without transit, none of this stuff is possible. And one thing that I've learned to just have a massive appreciation for is like all the unsung heroes, like all the unseen heroes, right? the operators, the planners, everybody in between. We hire some incredibly smart and qualified people to run this organization, and it is not an easy feat. And we are doing the work in the background to make the best decision for our city and for transit. It's not like we sit there as a commission around the table and say, okay, well, we're going to make this decision. Who wants to vote on it? All right. Votes happen, and that's that's not how it works. Our management team, the people who are working on the intense analytics around if we should be closing the SRT, um, you know, the Scarborough Rapid Transit line sooner because of safety issues and concerns and figuring out what the strategy and solutions are to getting people from point A to point B now that that line has been suspended. Months of work, right? Tons of analytics, decision matrices and trees all over the place teams that are dozen people strong trying to come up with the best decision 
for Toronto, given the information that we have. So there are incredibly smart people uh, across operators to management who are working on some of the toughest challenges that face the city. And it's it's completely eye-opening. And, and I think people need to recognize that. Like, we're not making decisions in a bubble. We're not making decisions because of, like, political reasons or because of a certain bias. We have hired incredibly talented people who have decades of experience running sophisticated transportation companies who are employing people who are equally brilliant to help make the best decision for our city, given the information that we have and given the foresight that we need for the city. So sure, you're upset about a route. Maybe there's construction on the roads. Maybe you missed a bus. Yes, that's fair. And that's all good criticism. But there's always going to be an underlying reason why, right? There's always going to be a reason why there's always construction on the weekend, for example, or we have to shut down a bunch of subway stations for an extended period of time. One, because there's asbestos everywhere. But two, like, would you rather shut it down during the workday where you need to get to your place of employment, which has an impact on you and your career trajectory, right? We're thinking about this stuff and we're cognizant that there are going to be consequences. We're, we're, we're doing our best to make the best decisions with the information we have. And it's not always going to please people, but it is something that's impacting Toronto for the long term positively. And we're confident in that. Yeah, yeah. You, can't, you can't always make everyone happy all the time. The TTC is is obviously a big part of your life, but it's not the only part of your life. Um, sure. And it's not even the only part of your working life. Uh, you are an investor in a company called Faculty. Um, you've said before that Faculty is championing the new wave of masculinity. I want to yeah. talk to you about that a little bit because we're all men here talking to each other. What what tell us about faculty? Talk to us about your definition of masculinity. What's this idea of this new wave of masculinity? Yeah, yeah. It's faculty faculty is a faculty is a brand rooted in self expression. And when I co founded faculty, I wanted to find a way to disrupt a half a trillion dollar industry. That's the cosmetics industry. And when you and when you analyze the cosmetics industry, two things are very important. One. It's based off of vanity and vanity you know, in theory should not exist. But two, the cosmetics industry is based off of one form of self-expression or one form of, of normativity, and that's femininity. And I don't know what happened. You know, one, one, Once upon a time, if you were wearing makeup, you were a king or you were going into battle or you were part of an army and then something happened. The pharaohs. The pharaohs, right? The pharaohs, man. The pharaohs. Exactly. Exactly. And, and something happened in like the 1900s where some dude probably flipped the switch and said, okay, we're going to market this to uh, people who lean towards feminine expression. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then the question begs, well, why is that not happening for, for guys? Because I want to look good. I want to wear a product that allows me to be my best. And a lot of it stems from like what the definition of masculinity is today. And I like to think that masculinity is evolving in like three stages. Once upon a time, the definition of masculinity was one that was based and rooted in machismoism, right? So we think about like the Arnold Schwarzeneggers of the world and, and being the lone wolf, being the provider, being the tough guy who doesn't want to talk about their feelings. We then moved into a world where we started to sort of discredit that and almost fight against machismoism, um, leaning completely away from that almost cold turkey. And now we're in this like third wave of masculinity 
which is undefined and a bit in a crisis. And it's in a crisis because there's no true definition of what masculinity looks like. So for me, new wave masculinity is actually whatever it is that it means to you. It means that you can be shy. It means that you're allowed to be timid. It means that you're allowed to be soft. It means that you're allowed to be hard. It means you're allowed to be aggressive. It means that you're allowed to be boisterous if you want. It's whatever it means to you. And the idea of masculinity needs to stop being associated with men because I think that they're actually divorced concepts. Masculinity is something that, you know, someone who was born as a female could experience too. Femininity is something that as someone who was born as a male can experience too. So faculty is designed to solve for that um, aimlessness. It's designed to be, it's designed to solve for this idea that masculinity is undefined and is only defined by the person who's experiencing it. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to embrace this like spectrum of expressions and we wanted to build a product suite that would give strength to sensitivity, courage, and vulnerability. And we wanted to do it through the world of cosmetics because from a mathematical perspective, if we're able to get 1% of guys in the world to start wearing a makeup or start wearing a cosmetic, which by the way, we spoke to a thousand guys and 90% of them said that if they were, if that, that if there was a brand that aligned with who they were personally that sold a makeup or a cosmetic, they would totally use it. But there's no brand on the market that does that because all these brands, the glossies of the world, the cosasses of the world, they're all steeped in like hyper femininity. But if there was a company that existed that was geared towards men, that helped them cover up their blemishes, that made them look good, and if you look good, you feel good, that's my personal opinion at least, then they would buy it. And that was enough for us to go out and build this business. And, you know, we were able to raise $3.5 million from financiers, celebrities, cultural tastemakers uh, to make that happen. So we, we've got a long road ahead in terms of changing behavior and altering the definition of masculinity. But, you know, when you, when you look at the hashtags of like male makeup or guys wearing cosmetics, yes, you think New York, but the data shows us that guys in Utah want this, like people in the most random states where you would never associate like creativity or, or, you know, being hyper liberal when it comes to their expression will be interested. That's where we're seeing it. And it just goes to show you that the data is there. The people are there. Let's build a brand around this that like calls out the fact that there is no real definition of masculinity. And by the way, we'll help you define yourself through outwardly expression, however you want. And it's up to you to decide on what that means. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because even when you were speaking there, my mind kept shifting between makeup, which when people think of makeup, or at least when I think of it, one side of my brain, I think colors, bright colors and uh, eyeshadow and all this stuff. And then the other side of my brain is like, no, wait a second, like you wear makeup when you're, you know, as an actor, you're just covering up your dark circles, your blemishes you know, you're, you're putting on lip balm, like you, you're, you're wearing makeup too. So makeup doesn't always have to actually even be seen. Makeup can be unseen, which is the kind of makeup that I wear for, for my work. So that's really interesting because, you know, I, I caught myself going, oh, but it's, oh, but that's makeup too. 
Um, I th- a thing that I am seeing trending right now, this is a ge- genuine question because I don't know anything about it, but I'm seeing it more and more often. I'm seeing more men now wear nail polish. What is what is that? What's going on? Why are guys wearing nail polish again? Am I missing a trend? What's up? It's just f***ing cool, man. Like, I, I, sorry for swearing. I, uh, I told Alex I'd try not to swear, but it's just, <laughs> it's just cool. This is not... This is not a novel concept, but let me let me explain to you why guys are dipping into nail polish. And the word dipping is so critical here. Lots of guys are interested in experimenting with their self-expression. They're very interested in trying things. They're, they're, and usually the easiest form of trying new things is through fashion, right? We've gone, like, I mean, like pants, for example. Like we've gone from like wide pants to carpenter to skinny jeans back to wide corduroys. These are different ways of expressing oneself and their creativity. Guys, I think, are really interested in diving into skincare and into makeup, but are too timid or afraid or don't have a champion to look to to say, yes, that's acceptable. But painting your nails, rock stars have been painting their nails for decades, right? Travis Barker, Blink-182, you, 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 you name it. People have been painting their nails. And it's the easiest, most comfortable way for guys, regardless of how they choose to identify. It's the easiest way for them to dump into this trend and like be expressive. Um, and hopefully it enables them to like feel like they have the permission to do crazier things or things that are completely outside of their comfort zone. And, you know, I, I've seen like my, my younger brother actually is a perfect example of this. You know, he he went to an all boys school, played sports his entire life, wouldn't touch makeup ever. Um, you know, realized one day that wearing nail polish was really cool. Started wearing clear coat, and then like eventually got to a place where he's now like going into the nail salon and getting designs on his nails, which he thinks is super cool because that's his way of expressing himself, and it offers just a little bit of his personality through the use of an outward canvas that are his fingers. Um, so I think for a lot of guys, the trend is here to stay. This is their first foyer into being expressive through the use of cosmetic skincare and expressive products like nail polish. You're right, because I was, you know, I wear jewelry. I love, I love like rings on my fingers. Yeah. You know, I, I love jewelry. So jewelry is a way of self-expression, but also... Um, I've had thoughts of like, I really want to get my ears pierced. Like, I really want a piercing. But you're yeah. right, piercing, again, jewelry, but piercings, tattoos have typically been ways that everyone tries yeah. to express themselves, right? You get a tattoo because it represents who you are, represents a moment in your life or something like that. You get a piercing maybe because either A, you think it looks cool or it represents who you are or it gives you an edge or whatever yeah. it is. And... I guess nail polish falls into exactly that, you know, that story right there. Yeah, yeah exactly. I got it. Yeah, and I have, a, I have a question for that. So you're, you're talking about nail polish is obviously a form of self-expression. Um, and I remember reading, we we read the TechCrunch article and you said the last thing faculty wants to be seen as is just a nail polish company. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're more than that. You're your self-expression in many forms. So you said trends, you, you spoke briefly about trends. So what do you think are the, potential new trends yeah what are the new trends i want to get ahead of the trends (laughs) all right let us know please okay yeah man listen getting ahead of the trends uh one thing that we're seeing right now which is something that we launched um uh several months ago is tooth gems so gen z is championing this but effectively they're like small 
just semi-permanent gems you can stick to your teeth. Um, so like, I guess in our day, like it was cool to see rappers wear grills, right? Yeah. Likely still cool, depending on if you're listening to like 50 Cent or Lil Wayne or some of these like OG rappers in the but scene. But Post Malone too, right? Like Post Malone has, I don't, oh, yeah, I don't know what he has, but right? This... Well, he's got something. He's got something in his grill. This is like the more pedestrian version of like getting grills that are non-committal. Um, so you're seeing, you're going to see a lot of like Gen Z and like young millennials put like gems on their teeth as a way of expressing themselves, um, which we think is really cool. Um, and like, it just, it's just like another way of like going out there and like, I gotta be real with you guys. I'm going to be real with you guys right now. What exactly are grills? Like, I know it's metal, (laughs) but like, are they taking out their teeth and putting like, are they literally permanently removing their teeth? No, not always. Some of them are permanent. So like Wayne's, I'm pretty sure are permanent. Like, like he literally took out his teeth. Like, two. like souped up veneers is what he's yeah. got. But like you can just wow, like okay. buy, but you can just like buy like a a grill that just goes over your teeth, right? And again, ah, it's like okay, okay, right? Like I don't know, like Johnny Dang probably has like a million different like ways to like make a sick looking grill, whether it's like a full grill, a half grill, like vampire teeth. Like I don't know, but again, just like another way of expressing oneself through jewelry, through accessories, like cosmetic is, yeah, like, okay, you can go to like the definition in like the US patent and trademark definitions of what a cosmetic is, which is like a class three item that fits a color cosmetic, a skincare product, et cetera. But cosmetic is anything that enables self-expression. So like a tooth chip, I would consider a cosmetic, right? Hybrid skincare or makeup products, I would consider a cosmetic. Right. You can go as far as saying the piercings are also cosmetics too. Right. So it's it's also about like disbanding our belief about what a cosmetic or like makeup is defined as. Then we start to really get into like these echelons of like what cool looks like. One other thing that we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of body art through body crayons. So this was popularized in Euphoria. And like I don't know if you've taken a look at the makeup and euphoria, but it's very simple and you'll see a lot of really cool color, but it's like lines going across someone's face. So like, these are like crayons that you can basically do like body art with. And you're seeing a lot of people now stylize their face, their hands, whatever with this body art, which we think is kind of cool too. And is it permanent or is it semi-permanent? Yeah, semi-permanent, semi-permanent washes off. So do you think, do you think, because like I, I've I watched a couple episodes of Euphoria, so I understand. Like I, I know what you're referencing. Yeah. Do you think like five to ten years from now we're gonna be walking down the street and most people will have like something on their face, whether it's grills or some sort of paint or I mean, yeah, right now it's like piercings or tattoos really on pe- or makeup on people's face. But do you think we're gonna see more kind of like body body art? I do. I do. I mean, look, we're already starting to see tattoos. Like uh, my, like we, I've got this running joke with my friends where it's like, we, we refuse to get tattoos because everybody has a tattoo these days. Right. And like that, like having a tattoo was a cool thing to do. You had a tattoo because you were part of a club, you were a sailor, you were in a gang, whatever. Now, like people are just getting like hearts tattooed on their arm for, for, for whatever reason, because it's a cool thing to do. And it's becoming so commonplace. And I think as we move into the next century, what you're going to start to see is a heavier reliance on like expression and being your own person 
um, devoid and divorced from any institution or corporation that may like tell you what's good or tell you what's important. The, the generation of consumers today are more concerned with brands, products, and ideas that help them feel like individuals more than part of clubs, teams, or movements, right? So if, 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 if we take that and we extrapolate that out, I'm going to want to find ways to make myself me. I don't want anybody to be a carbon copy of me or who I am. And I think a lot of that's going to come from the use of cosmetics and body art. Man, Fenton's dropping so many, uh, so many nuggets here, man. Like, jeez. Alex man. loves the nuggets. I don't know oh. if you know this about Alex, but he yeah. loves the nuggets. Oh yeah. man, so much, so much good stuff. Okay, um, but I want to switch gears here really quickly because I know we're we're coming up at time. Um, sure. We got to talk about. Um, I feel like you do it all, Ben. Okay, we looked at we looked at your LinkedIn profile. You saw me creeping it probably at least like twenty times. But you have equally the funniest and most eye-catching bio, and you referred to it earlier. It's literally, I know it looks like I'm all over the place, but I'm actually oh. trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And it's funny because, Fenton, you've honestly, man, you've achieved so much what people are hoping to achieve in their lifetime at such a young age. Um, like, what does this bio mean to you? What is, you? we spoke real, before we got on here about being a generalist versus specialist, like, yeah you you were involved like in 20 different things like how how do you manage this and where does this fire come from yeah um so let me let me address the the bio first look i <laughs> i'm I, i'm humbled because you think it's eye-catching and humorous but it's it, it's it's actually not designed to be that way it's it is meant to be literal it's meant to be taken as fact it's designed to be completely true Look, I um I decided very early on that I was going to put candor at the front of everything that I do. And I think it's so important to me as a person. It's important to me as a leader. And like, yeah, you're right. On paper, I've achieved a lot of things that people want to achieve in their lifetime. And I'm humbled and I'm privileged for it. And I want to find ways to ensure that others just like me or others that come after me achieve that too. And my bio is attempt to bring a sense of reality to what is on paper. Um, it's an ode to realizing that we never really figure it out, right? The average person has like five different jobs or careers over their lifetime. My, my, my bio was an ode to like imposter syndrome and the fact that as we get further and more advanced in our career, so does imposter syndrome. There is a clear positive correlation between the more of an expert you are and the more you have imposter syndrome. It's an ode to the fact that life is dynamic and it's always changing and we constantly need to be adapting. And it's also an ode to the idea that we should always be considering every opportunity that's being thrown our way. And you know when people say like, don't meet your heroes? Have you guys ever heard that? Yeah, yeah of you. course. Yeah. Right. So I've, because of my work, I've been able to meet my heroes from hip hop artists to executives and everything between. And I started to realize why that quote was so important. And I realized very quickly that all these people that I put on a pedestal my entire life, they are just like me. They are just trying to figure it out. They are just trying to figure out what the hell it is they want to be when they grow up. So who, who am I to like build out a boisterous biography of like what I've achieved when in reality, I'm really just trying to figure it out. And this is like my quest at being a crash test dummy to do everything that I can to find and define who I am. So the fire 
the fire that I have comes from this like genuine desire to like do good. But again, it comes from this fear of like being defined before I can define myself. I, you know, and then, and, and this is very common for like hypermasculine uh, conversations, but whenever you have a conversation with a guy, I always find that the first thing you're being asked is like what you do. Hey, yeah. I'm Fenton, I'm this, or like, Hey, like, you know, I, I mean, and I'm, I'm an actor, right? The conversation immediately goes into career, what you want to achieve. And those conversations, they make me so uncomfortable because I, like, I don't know if I want to come up with like a word for what I am or like what I've achieved or like who I want to be. I don't know if I'm a consultant or an advisor or an executive or a startup leader or a transit commissioner or a speaker or an investor or any of these like random titles. I, I don't know yet. Um, and part of my quest in, in trying to be the ultimate generalist and trying to like grow with this sense of radical curiosity is to suspend my beliefs on like the institution that says I have to be one thing and one thing only in exchange for this portfolio of experiences, right? Careers are often linear where you go from like one position to the next, maybe lateral move to a new company, but you're always like climbing this linear scale. For me, I think career is about portfolios of experiences that tie together in an awesome story. I don't, I don't know what my story is yet, but my my guess is that hopefully the fear of like not wanting to be defined mixed with the inspiration that I have to just do good in the world brings me to a place that when I'm in my like late 60s, I can talk about all the good I got to do because I just wanted to do everything because life is too short to just do one thing. Man, yeah. you've given me a lot to think about because I often have these thoughts of like the old school thought, the old school traditional way of thinking is you commit yourself to one thing and you do that and you just like grind until you get to the quote unquote top of it, right? Like I want to be an actor. Nothing's going to stop me. I'm just going to grind until I get to the top of that mountain. Yeah. But then through life, you experience other things. Like I love business. I love numbers. I love financials. Yeah. Um, and that's why I've started a few businesses and I love doing that. And, you know, I'm I'm producing Evolving Vegan and I love producing. I love hosting. I love all these things. But the traditional thought of, no, no, but you have to be an actor. Like that's what you've committed to. Yeah. So you, you can you can maybe like it's it's almost like you're cheating on acting, but you're cheating on that. Like, what are you doing? But you're right. Like the world is changing and the world is moving so fast and the, the the way we market ourselves, the opportunities out there, you know, everything is changing that maybe it's okay to leave acting for a little bit, go produce, leave producing, yeah. go start a business, do that for a couple of years. And then, you know what I mean? Like, maybe that's okay. And I think what you've, you've, you've shown me and, and the audience is that it's okay to not be held down by this label that everybody puts on you and you put on yourself like it's okay maybe you maybe you do like something more yeah. be, more now you know maybe maybe there is something that you want to do more than you than what you were doing five years ago like that's okay that's okay to do that and you're young and you're healthy and, and you're motivated and you can do that other thing so I want to thank you for that because I've I've never really sat down and, and really thought about that, but now I will. 
Yeah. And look, Mina, you have a really, like, it's a really good point that you're raising. Like, we love, like, human beings, just evolutionary. We, we have so many interests, so many hobbies, so many ways that we can take our life. Like, the no one ever, like, on someone's deathbed, no one, no one's ever like, oh, that person was a great banker or that person was a fantastic actor. That person was, they think about what that person has contributed to their lives. They think about what that person has contributed to their, like, sense of being. And that is devoid, completely devoid of like what you've done for your career, what you've stuck with. And that's why for me, I'm trying to spread the wealth across as many areas that I can impact because I think it's so crucial. And I've I've taught myself to look at my career less as this linear function and more as this like portfolio of experiences that tell a really cool story. Because ultimately, I think people are more interested in that than this. It's It's really hard to wrap your head around and it takes a lot of reconditioning. But if you get to it, I feel like you'll be happier. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, and I think, uh, and, and to your point, yours is a really good point, Fenton. I feel like the people that don't put all their eggs in the basket of one occupation, one job, one career. I find that the people that actually spread themselves across multiple things, they're all in, into a sport of choice. They're all into the relationships. Like they put the um, the eggs not all in one basket and spread yeah. it across. Those are actually the people that I realize are the happiest and more fulfilled in their life, right? And it reminds me of something that I got a beef with, which is like you're talking to a recruiter who says, oh, it doesn't look good if you don't stay at a company for 10 years. And it's just, it's weird if you break that down to its raw constituents. And I saw, you know, and you're you're rolling your eyes here because I agree. I think like it's stupid to think that you only got one life to live and they want you, there's an expectation for you to spend that entire life at one job for your entire life and for you to retire there and not to experience anything else. So, but again, that's that's the traditional old way of thinking, and that's exactly. that's what I mean because the traditional old way is is you you commit your life to one thing, but you're right. It's it's listen. The point of this, the point of growth untold, and the podcast is to have people on you to allow not just me and Alex, but everybody listening to think about things differently, to think about things in a way they may have not thought about before. And you've certainly done that with me today in so many ways, whether it was about masculinity, whether it was about, you know, one occupation, you know, that's really the point of this is for people to just think about that. And maybe you do want to commit your life to one thing and go for it. Like I'm sitting here right now talking to you and I, 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 I seriously don't know. Like it's something that I struggle with. It's something that I have been thinking about, but haven't really voiced until I spoke to you, which is like, do I really want to be an actor for the rest of my life? Like, is that what I want to give my life to? Like, it's brutal. It's grueling. It's, yeah. you know, it's all these things. And so maybe out there, people listening, maybe you do want to commit your life to one thing. And that's great. Do that. Like, go for that. There's but, nothing wrong with that formula. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. But if you do want to try different things in your life, maybe do, do that. Like, do... Follow your heart, follow your gut, follow your instinct. And I think the ultimate pursuit, like you said, I think it's that pursuit of like happiness, right? Not to be cliche, but do what makes you happy, whatever it is. So yeah, it's um it's definitely an interesting, interesting way to to look at things and you've opened my my perspective to that. But that's what Fenton does. I, I appreciate that, right? that. Fenton Fenton. <laughs> You know, Frenton doesn't break news. He breaks insights, man. Okay. Everything you said was so prophetic. Uh, 
I was I was typing notes through the full duration of this podcast. I I think I learned like two pages worth of things from Fenton. You know we're gonna have this (laughs) recording, right? You know we're gonna have this recording. You just listen to it. You don't have to write shit out, dude. I don't know, man. I'm sorry. I just I gotta write it out, man. I gotta write it out. I gotta record it. I got so you memorize it faster, guys. You gotta write stuff out. You know they say right? If you if you write things out, you're more than fifty percent. You're fifty percent more likely to do it. There you go. Oh Mina. yeah, you hear that? So you gotta write. So you gotta <laughs> oh, write it down. <laughs> I used to write out my monologues, man, trying to memorize them for theaters, through theater school. So I know, yeah, if you want to memorize it, you gotta write it down for sure, or listen to it on repeat, like this episode of Growth Untold. So if you liked this episode, go back, listen to it again, and um, I want to thank you, Fenton, for for coming on and really Guys, breaking things down and giving us. Uh, a, a new perspective on a, on a lot of different issues, my man. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Fun. Thank you so much for having me. This was a wonderful conversation. Let's keep on growing. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe, share, and join the journey of Growth Untold. Don't miss a single nugget. Hit that follow button now on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram. 